0: Okay, like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 51. Uh, I've entitled this sermon, You Are That Man, which um, hopefully will make sense uh, in just a little bit. Um, like I mentioned earlier last week, I didn't get the chance to talk to you, to talk to my church, to talk to my friends, to talk to, talk to my family that I care about so much. Um, and, and it was a good thing. I'm, I'm thankful that we were able to meet um, as uh, three different locations Uh, all together, unified um, in our corporate uh, lament and uh, confession um, and grief as a church. Um, And yet, at the same time, I missed being able to sit here and and talk to you. (laughs) Um, And so I want to spend just a a minute explaining um, some decisions that we've made uh, as a church. And and I'm I'm allowed to say we now because I have uh, other elders with Josh and Paul and I'm thankful uh, for that. That this isn't just me trying to figure this out. I am so grateful for those men. Um, well, uh, that didn't take long. Uh, in my life, they have uh, they have they've been great and a big help. Um, let me start off by saying, right now, um, in the in the the wake of obviously uh, the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and. Uh, Everything that's been going on and and COVID-19 and and all these different things, but specifically with this and and, and the Black Lives Matter movement and all these different things, I have trusted voices and me personally that are saying almost the exact opposite of what I should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing, what I should be calling out as sin, as my church, as the pastor, what I should be marching toward. And yet you shouldn't be doing anything. We should be sitting. This has not been easy on me and and i'm th- i'm so thankful all of you who reached out through text, email, phone call saying what's going on, what are we doing? Thank you so much. Uh it 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 really it warms my heart in the sense that i have a people and a church that want to make a difference uh in our community and uh the where god has brought us to right now. And then at the same time, it grieves my heart because i don't i don't have all the answers. And, and so let me, let me tell you, though, why now, a little bit more understanding, hopefully, is why we as a church have decided to sit, to listen, to lament, to confess, and to grieve together. I, want, I just want to talk about that briefly, what the logic was behind this um, and, and what that means uh, going forward. What this doesn't mean is that we haven't been doing anything. All right, because I know for me personally to sit in my grief and to learn and become aware of my own ignorance has been incredibly, incredibly difficult. So It doesn't mean we haven't been doing anything physically because that's not even true. I know of several of you uh, individually who have said, I'm, I want to go do this. I want to help my community. I want to go and, and mark in this thing. And that's great. and 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 yet I hope that not necessarily today. But in the next coming weeks that I want to uh, boldly declare that this is what we're actually going to do as a church. Uh, that as I have uh, African-American pastors saying, you, you, need to, you need to march with us. We need to do this thing together. And I, and I agree with them that I want to tell you that corporately together that we, we will, we will. And I want to be united on this. I want to have consensus on this as as a church, that this is what we've decided to do um, together uh, to promote awareness, right? When we talk about Jamar Tisby's arc of awareness, and we're just now scratching the surface of that A of awareness. And so I don't want to move and jump into relationships and commitment and what we can do before we really focus on just becoming aware of certain things right now. And, and, And this, if I've learned anything in the past couple of weeks is, I've learned a lot. And why have I learned so much so fast? And there must mean there's a whole lot more for me to uncover. And I want us to do that together. All right. And I'm not trying to jam and force feed something down your throat. But I've been um, immensely convicted over this this idea of what's called prophetic preaching, of calling things out for what they need to be. And so that's, that's what I wanted to today that this probably won't be my most popular sermon. <laughs> All right, I don't think anyone's going to slam the laptop shut or, or shut off the, the, you know, the Facebook live feed or anything. I don't think that will happen, but I don't think that this is going to be the most viewed uh, sermon on our website or most listened to sermon on our lower town podcast. It's not going to be a popular one. There's going to be a going to be a hard one. It's hard for me. So let me tell you um, what I've done personally and why I did that and why I've chosen to only tell you about this now. Uh, this past Tuesday, there was a, um, a clergy prayer march uh, led by the black clergy uh, of St. Paul. And we met at a, at a high school and walked uh, just a couple blocks down to the target uh, that was looted. And it, it looks like a war zone, um, not just because of all the National Guard and the armored vehicles and the Black Hawk helicopters. It looks like a war zone that has been bombed out, uh, the buildings. Um, and I didn't post anything on that. I had other pastor friends that were there with me that, you know, we're doing Facebook live feeds and, and bringing more awareness. And that's great. I just, I personally wasn't there yet that I needed to sit there. I didn't take one picture, uh, except another pastor asked me if I could take a picture of, of him. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I just knew I needed to sit there and grieve for my city, with my brothers and sisters that were leading the march, and uh, I just pray. Um, and then on Thursday, as a lot of you know, that uh, George Floyd's uh, funeral was just right across the street from our downtown location. And so Pastor Steve and Pastor Corr, Pastor Drew, Pastor Davis, myself, and a couple elders, and a lot of other volunteers from downtown, mainly staff, uh, it wasn't something that we were making public that we we packed all of our parking lots you know, with free parking, obviously um, had donations that people were giving for Gatorade and water and snacks. And so passed those out. And then I just sat. And listened. No pictures, no, no tweets. Not that I tweet. I don't think I've ever tweeted. Nothing. I just needed to sit and listen. And and that moved me then to lament, to grieve. I have never cried so much over a complete stranger in my life. I mean, when R.C. Sproul died, the theologian, just a couple years ago, I, I maybe got choked up, I maybe shed a little tear. This has been very hard for me, Um and not just not just for george it is that but it's it's for all my brothers and sisters that i of color that i just completely have neglected or or whatever um sorry i got a notification from my uh, facebook thing here that i wasn't sure if we were okay i think we are so that led me to lament. Well, today I want to move to confession. Um, Paul Stiver the other day uh, sent me a tweet of a guy that I honestly had never never heard of. He's a professor at uh, North Park University in Chicago. Um, but he said this. If you are a recently uh, woke white pastor, right? So this is at me. If you are a recently woke white pastor... And your answer is to go out there and to fix the problem yourself. You are not that woke. Take the time to lament and mourn the long history of racial injustice before trying to be the white Messiah to a problem you just woke up to. That's why, and that just, he just tweeted this yesterday. But. That that is where we're at. That's where I'm at as a pastor. That's where we are at as elders. That we don't we don't want to rush into anything. That we want to we want to lament. We want to listen. We want to learn. So, let's move into Psalm 51. I want to set the stage for Psalm 51 before we get there, and I don't want to spend too much time doing this. There's a lot that I could read from Second Samuel 11 and 12. I'm just going to read a little bit of when the high priest can excuse me, confronts David, King David, on his sin. So you have King David, the most powerful man probably in the, in the world at this time, that he's out on his rooftop and he goes outside and he looks at another building next to him and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. And the thing is, David, which, which Samuel's going to call him out, already has wives, right? He already has multiple wives. All right, and so, so him to see her, and then remember, he's the king. So he invites her over. He doesn't invite her over. He sends people to go, to go get her, bring her to me. And I don't think Bathsheba was wooed in this, right? So we could probably have a little bit of, of rape that happens in this situation. What's she supposed to say? What's she supposed to do in this instance? She gets pregnant from it. He then tries to cover it up. Right, cover up his sin, you know, call it uh, I don't know conception gate or that sounds like a sounds like a anti pregnancy thing. That's not sorry, jokes are not funny right now. I wasn't trying to be funny. I just said you know I, you know you guys know me. I say things sometimes and then I go what what was that? Why did you why did you? He tries to cover up the fact that she was pregnant, and he does that by inviting his uh, her. Uh, husband back, Uriah, to to sleep with her and maybe cover up the fact that she's pregnant. And, and then he's just an upright guy. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go sleep with my wife while well, my men are sleeping in their tents outside. Uh, they were in battle. So then King David says, all right, we'll send him to the front lines. and And, and as a king, the government who has power, he then gets him killed. And then he marries Bathsheba again to cover it up. And he thought it's all covered up. Okay, so that's what's happening right now. And this is 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He's the high priest, sends him to the king. And when he came to him, he said, and he just goes into a story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And again, he's gonna explain this because you, you have wives, you have everything that you need right now. And, and you're gonna go after the, this one lamb. Okay, so this is the story again. A rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children and shared his food, drank from his cup and slept in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. And now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. That David had stuffed his sin down, that he had hit it so well that he became a hypocrite and started calling people out on their own sins, but yet he didn't even examine his own sin. And so this is the psalm that he pens, Psalm 51, after this moment that he goes and, and pens this psalm to confess to God. At the beginning of this, there's a, there's a title that says, For the Director of Music. It is a, it's a psalm of David, but it was written for the director of music to, be, to confess corporately. This was a corporate confession, and so I hope that we can do that. Now, built within corporate confession is also individual confession. I used to share this as, a, as an illustration, as a joke, uh, four or five, six years ago. I used to say, uh, as an illustration, that if President Obama were to write uh, or to say that every American citizen is going to get a check for $1,000, okay, he's saying corporately every, every American is going to get a check for $1,000, Well, guess what? I'm gonna get a check that says Brian Silver, $1,000, signed Barack Obama. It used to be a joke, but now it's that actually happened, uh, which is sad. Um, Okay, so now it's no longer an illustration. It's like, yeah, that remember that thing happened where every American uh, got money, uh, stimulus package, but then you got the check. That's that's this, and that's it's corporate confession. But there's also a really big individual confession that needs to happen on this. So let's jump into Psalm 51. David says this, and I hope that we would, we would say this as well. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, right? Just remember, like in elementary school, we'd had that whiteout. Uh, some people, we just, you know, I just had like the normal, like you dip it in the thing, like nail polish, and and what. And some people had the cool; it was like tape, and you could uh, over it. That was pretty cool. But then you could, there's there's ways around that, right? You could hold up to the light, and you kind of see through it, and got messy. And so David realized, yeah, I don't want to just blot it out. I don't want to just white out here. Wash away all my sin and cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgression, right? He's realized, I know what I've done now. I, I, I've always known what I've done is wrong. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only, I have sinned. Did he commit sin against Bathsheba and Uriah? Yes. But he's saying, ultimately, God, you are the king of the universe, and and, and I— Respond to you for my soul. God, against you I have sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. What's interesting, I remember several years ago, I was in a uh, thing about um, uh, peace Peacemaker University. This would have been back in 14, I believe. And in this... Uh, Class that we took, we were talking about confession. What does true confession look like? And, and they gave an example of an individual who got up in front of people that he was caught in some embezzlement or something like that. And his response was, we've probably heard apologies like this. Uh, maybe we've used them ourselves. i like, well, you know, I'm, hey, I'm sorry you you feel that way. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, whatever I did uh, hurt you. Um, Sorry, sorry. that You know, then they they put it back on the individual. Well, then they use the example of of Marion Jones. If you remember her uh, sprinter for the United States back in I think it was the 2000s, early 2000s, maybe late 99s uh, WNBA player. She was, I mean, the best female athlete, uh, probably barred by none back then. And she then got caught uh, using steroids and her medals, gold medals for track and field were stripped away from her. And then she got up, though, and she confessed to her fans, to her family, to her friends, that she was wrong. And I had a friend sitting there was like, that's I know I know you're using what she said was good. But her heart clearly isn't in this because she only confessed her sin after it got exposed. Right. I mean, if, if they never would have told her or her, her, you know, use of steroids never would have been found out. She never would have confessed that way. Well, the fact is her her usage of steroids was pointed out. And her response was correct. And that's exactly what's going on here with David, that he is called out on his sin. And he says, I am wrong on this. And I think this is how a lot of the the moderate white Christians, whatever you want to label uh, myself or a lot of other people, even listening to this right now or watching this. I think this is us. I think we're finally being called out. I think our sin is being exposed and we have an option now to recoil to say, man, what you, this is not me. This is not I'm not, I, that's not me. I'm not implicit in this. I didn't know. I don't own slaves. Or there's all those phrases that we could use and say, but I think we need to sit and recognize we've been, it's been pointed out. As for me, I've been wrecked by this, this last couple of weeks. This is true confession. Continuing verse five, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He's not saying that sex and having kids is, is sin uh, within marriage. He's he's clearly saying here um, that from from the time I was born, I've been I've been de- I've been deceitful. Um, I am I am totally depraved in my humanity. He says, "Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Right, wash me, and I will be whiter with whiter than snow." And I, I've talked about this before. If you've been around Lower Town that going back in Leviticus, if somebody had some kind of skin ailment or uh, some kind of leprosy, that once they, were, once they got healed from that, they would then have to go to the priest, and the priest would take a branch of hyssop, dip it in blood, and he would go to them and say, you're clean, you're clean, you're clean, and ceremoniously sprinkle them with this to say, you've been cleansed of your uncleanness. You've been cleansed of why you have to be in exile. He's saying, bring me back. I'm in exile because of my sin, because of what I've done. To Uriah, to Bathsheba, to my people, and to you, ultimately, God, cleanse me now from that. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. That as we are crushed under the weight and reality of our own sin, to know I can have joy. I mean, I I said we don't have to sit here forever. That's the whole point of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I say this every week to send us off that you've been set free to be free. You've been set free not to go back to the yoke of slavery, but to be free. And so confess it and let's go be free and help and live the lives that we've been called to live. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. And so he's going to transition here from, from repentance now to a cry for help. Say, I cannot do this on my own. And I think that's where we all should be. Say, I need to confess my sin. I can't do this by myself. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. Verse 10 Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And it's a beautiful thing about being on on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ is that we have been sealed, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, that we have been sealed. We've been united with the Holy Spirit, and it won't be taken away. That we have the Spirit to, to help us restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your way to say that I can actually repent, that you can help me, and I can actually help other people see their wrong in this way. I hope that would be all of our hearts. So that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. I want to just spend a little bit of time looking at these next three verses here. He says, I'm going to to read them, and then I want to talk about them. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings whole, offered whole, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. There is a heresy that I try very hard every week not to commit. It's something called eisegesis of taking our situation, which right now of of racism and everything going on with, with, with George Floyd, taking that and then jamming it into a passage and saying, This is us. I, I don't want to do that. This is what David is confessing his sin in his time as a nation of Israel. That's, that's not us, but yet what are the truths that David is saying? And how can we apply that now to our situation? And I think I can exegete this passage. I can say, this is what David is saying for his time. How can we apply it? I think this is how we can apply it. I think we can look at verse 16 and say, you do not delight in sacrifice. Maybe works, maybe, maybe marching, going and doing something specifically right now, corporately, Right? If, if that's all it took, if I just had to go do this thing and then I could just be re- relieved of my guilt, then let's go do it. I don't think that's what God has called us to do. And I think what David says right here, and we're going to get into this, my sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. That we need to be broken over our sin on this matter of racism and injustice then verse 18, may it please you to prosper St. Paul, to build up the walls of Minneapolis, then you will delight, right? Then then we can go and act. Then we can do something when our hearts are in the right place. So then let's repent. As your pastor, corporately, I want to just share something. I, I went to a several Christian schools, high schools, um, universities, but um, one in particular, the one that I graduated from uh, predominantly white. Um, I had several uh, friends of color uh, in my school, in my class. Um, And recently, just in the last month um, Mm -hmm. that they started a um, kind of alumni of of, uh, Schaumburg Christian School group on Facebook that I've been part of. And I have been incredibly convicted by my friends that have been posting about how hard it was for them uh, in school. One of them in particular just posted this. And so I just want to read this uh, because this was me. This was, I mean, you rewind the clock probably six months uh, and I didn't understand this. And so um, I had a a girl in my class who, who posted this. The source is unknown, but let me read this. It says, if my spouse comes to me in obvious pain and asks, do you love me? An answer of I love everyone would be truthful, but also hurtful and cruel in the moment. If a coworker comes to me upset and says, my father just died, a response of everyone's parents die would be truthful, but hurtful and cruel in the moment. So when a friend speaks up at a time of obvious pain and hurt and says, black lives matter, a response of all lives matter is truthful, but it is hurtful and cruel in the moment. That was me. And I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't. When Black Lives Matter and their movements first started coming out, it was just like, don't all, I, all lives matter, man. Why, why are you just singling out? So, so, and I've had to confess. I've had to corporately say this is about our brothers and sisters that are hurting right now and calling us out on our sin that we need to confess. That might be a corporate thing that we need to do. But again, this is also an individual thing and what this what my awareness of certain sins has has made me do. Because of this Facebook group and different things that I've called, I've emailed, I have Facebook message, my friends of color that I was implicitly responsible within racism. I remember at my school that there was a girl in my class that we were doing a play and she was a fantastic actress uh, as far as high school acting goes, I guess, uh, I could say the same thing about myself. And, uh, she wanted to try out for this role. And my teacher said that, well, that wouldn't make sense. That was the daughter of, of two white people. You can't have this role because you're, you're a dark complexion. So she was robbed of a role in a play that she wanted to be part of because of her skin. And I just sat back and was like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. I'm I'm implicit in that racism. That I can't just stand up my for my friends. I can't just say, hey, maybe we should think about this. Maybe we could like add a line to the play to say, we've adopted this child. Or I mean, is it that difficult to, do we even have to say that? I think people know her skin's different. It's not a big deal. Explicitly though, I, I recently reached out to several of my friends. And I had to confess I didn't get specific with them, but at times that I was explicitly racist. And I remember, I remember distinctly, and I think in, in my corporate confession, in my own awareness, the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason, just brought back a flood of memories. And for me to say, hey, I'm just, I'm just messing around, man. I'm just kidding. It's funny, isn't it? No, it's not funny. And the thing that broke my heart unanimously, all my friends wrote back and said, to be honest with you, Brian, I, uh, I don't remember you ever doing anything or say anything, but I don't remember that instance because it was just every day. It just happened all the time. And that broke my heart to have to read that from my friends. Because I have no idea what that's like. I don't get made fun of every day. I don't get teased about slavery because of the color of my skin. So now let's make this personal, can we? <laughs> if we're not there yet, let's let Jesus do the talking. This is Luke chapter 11. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm not committing the crime the heresy of eisegesis, of jamming our story into this. I'm not going to do that. I, I think this is a very explicit. Because when we read the Bible, we need to write ourselves. We need to act as if we're a character here. And in here, the villain of this story is the Pharisee. This passage is not in the Bible so that we can sit back and go, man, those Pharisees 2,000 years ago, what jerks. This is here so that I can say, is that me? When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. And so he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And there's a lot I could say there, but for time's sake, I'm not going to get into that. It was a ceremonial ritual that wasn't even based in the Bible, it was extra biblical text that had been written. And Jesus didn't wash his hands. He didn't do the ceremonial cleansing, cleaning. And the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And I think, again, he's, he's not necessarily quoting Psalm 51, but David's saying the same thing. You don't desire sacrifice. You desire my heart to be cleansed. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You clean the outside of the dish, but your inside, you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? He's talking about God. Did not God make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, which wasn't even required of them. So look at these things I do for God, but you neglect Justice and the love of your God. You should have practiced the latter. You should have loved God by your tithes without leaving the former undone, without loving justice in God. He goes on, woe. And this is not, woe doesn't mean like, hey man, watch out. Like, hey, watch where you're you're walking on thin ice here. This is condemnation. Woe. Woe. On you. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to me. Because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. You want to sit up front, right? If you're familiar with you, all of you that know First Baptist Church, they got those big throne chairs up there, very similar to back then. And these guys would come in and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm a big deal. I'm going to go sit up there. I'm going to sit up on the stage behind whoever's lecturing because I'm important. And if you didn't get there in time to sit up there, then you'd sit in the front rows. Because the closer you were, you were important. That's what, that's what they wanted. And then here comes his strongest condemnation. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Let me explain. In Numbers 42, if you touched a dead body or came too close to a dead body, you were considered unclean. You had to go into exile for a week to become ceremonial Uh, ceremonially and ritualistically clean. He's saying that if, if you walk over a grave, you don't even know you're walking over a grave, you're unclean. And he's saying you Pharisees are unmarked graves, that people walk over them, they just get close to you in proximity and they become unclean because of you. Jesus is saying, I think in our context, which I really do think we can apply, and I can apply to myself. That's me. That I'm an unmarked grave when it comes to justice, to standing up for my weaker brothers and sisters, that I might not even know my influence is causing them harm. But now that it's been exposed, I need to repent, and I repent to you. And all those who come in contact with me, whether they even know it or not, are influenced in me in one, one way, shape, or form and deemed unclean because of my sin. So again, do we just stay here? Last night, I was reminded of a a quote in the middle of the night. I don't know what time it was, but my son, Jack, was just screaming for no reason. We couldn't figure it out. What was going on? And I finally just said, maybe he just needs some water. And Angela gave him some water. And uh, she came back in and said, he just chugged all that water. And uh, when her response, though, when coming back into the room wasn't, oh, man, all he needed was water. It was a. I'm sad that he he needed water, <laughs> and it's okay if he wakes me up for water. And it was I was reminded of a Tim Keller quote. It says, "The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child." We have that kind of access. We have that kind of access. Before I move on, I just I need to say this real quick. My wife just sent me a text and said, "You just said." that I need to stand up for my weaker brother. That doesn't mean my weaker brother as in because your, your skin color is different, you are therefore weaker. That is not what I meant. What I meant was I need to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. They're weaker voices in that sense, that as the majority, that as your pastor, I need to stand up. And so that's, that's what I meant by that. So I hope that, that you understand that. So moving on here to Psalm, going back to Psalm 51, when when David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Guess what? We now get to do that. Jesus, his blood has washed us from our sin. He has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And so I can look at then John, First John 1, 5 through 10 and say, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That we can be purified from our sin that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child, and we have that kind of access. That we can say, I've sinned, and he can say, you're forgiven. But then go and sin no more, that we are called to action. And so just closing in gospel application, I want you, I want you to examine your heart. I want you to examine your own heart And if you say, man, I, I don't know, right? there's blind spots? We all have blind spots. I might say things that we don't mean like I just did. <laughs> Examine yourself, but then call your friends. Talk to your spouse. Is there something in me that, that I say or do or I don't say or I don't do? But then I think we need to rest in the forgiveness that God offers through Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to keep repenting, to have a life of repenting and being made into that perfect image of God, his son, Jesus Christ. Let me go ahead and close in prayer and then we're gonna move on into a time of confession, a time of repentance as we take the Lord's Supper together. So you bow your heads and pray with me. Father, you are good. You are gracious even to a sinner like me. I thank you for the wounds um, that you've exposed that I have caused in the past. I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters of color that um, I have hurt. Um, and I pray that now, just these past this past month, that as we, um, as a church, uh, corporately, individually, need to confess that we need to repent and that it would be authentic. And then when we do that, when we have a contrite and broken spirit, then, then we can move that when we clean the inside of the cup, then we can actually start saying, hey, now what can we do on the outside? So God, would you, would you help us as we move forward? We love you. And we thank you for the freedom that you have from sin, from all sin, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the cross, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.